So we are in uh, week five of this series that we're in called Dawn. Dawn means the first appearance of light. And we're saying that, John is saying that that light is Jesus Christ who's come into the world. And today we're arriving at this story um, of John the Baptist. Have you ever met somebody that has completely changed you? I mean, you get to know this person and they've made such a difference in your life that they have changed you from the inside out. You've become, in a sense, a different person. A lot of the times when we meet people, what people do is they size each other up. And if you feel superior to somebody, you kind of feel good about yourself. But if you feel inferior to someone, you kind of feel like, oh, man, I don't feel so great about myself right now. Uh, You know you do it. We all do this. Um, And and I'm going to pick on the ladies first. And please, this is not, I probably shouldn't do that. I'm getting myself in trouble. This is an overgeneralization. But a lot of the times, here's what happens. Um, A girl meets another girl, and she thinks she's so pretty. And then she goes, she's so pretty. Don't you just hate her? And um, (laughs) all the girls are laughing because they know they do this. So then you meet this girl, and then you find out she's got this great personality, and you like her so much. And now you're even more mad because you want to hate her, but you can't. And that, in a way, makes you hate her even more now. (laughs) But then this girl comes up to you, and she's like, I've been wanting to tell you this. I think you're so beautiful. And then you're like, oh, the pretty girl thinks I'm pretty. And, or, or fellas, we do it in a different way. Um, we size each other up, like who's more successful or who has the best stuff, who's the strongest, who's the best leader, or whatever you want to, whatever you want to say. Um, and, and if we feel like they're superior than us, then we kind of feel bad about ourselves. But then they say to you, oh, man, I've been wanting to tell you, I think you're great at this, or you got so much potential in this, and then we feel good about ourselves. Um, when you meet someone like this, and then you find that they are humble and courageous and loving all at the same time, that type of person is very rare, and that's the type of person that you want to follow. And what we have here in this text is this guy named John the Baptist, who is all of those things. He's this guy who is, I mean, he's drawing these massive crowds. Everybody wants to follow this guy. And the Bible even calls him the greatest man who has ever lived. But this guy who is far superior than all of us says, I have met somebody who blows me out of the water. And that's what our text is about today. John discovering this person who has blown him out of the water. So we're going to be John. We're going to be in verses 19 through 34 in chapter one. So let me read that to you. So I don't know if you're going to notice this. When we first started in John, it's so packed with meaning that we went pretty slow. We're going to start speeding up right now. So we're going to read a lot of verses, verses 19 through 34. Here's what it says, and it should be on the screen for you. And this is the testimony of John When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? John confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. 
And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he whom I said... After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain... This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John, this spectacular person, has just met someone who is far more spectacular than him. And what we're going to see about him, we're going to see what it means to meet him, to behold him, and to embrace him. So we're going to look at the meeting, the beholding, and the embracing. So first in the meeting, John has met someone who has changed him to the core and has, been, and has made him into who has been called the greatest person who has ever lived. He has met someone that is exponentially more loving more humble, and more courageous all at the same time. John has such a following that there's all of these religious leaders are coming, and they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Why are all these people coming to him? And all these people are coming to John, and they're saying, John, teach us. We want to grow. And he's saying, listen, growth is important, but I want to introduce you to someone. I want you to introduce you to a person. And so these crowds keep on coming, and he says, listen, I've met a man who is far beyond me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, which is the equivalent of saying, I'm not even worthy to be this man's slave. John is like, all I want to do is tell you about him, because he's changed me, and he will change everything for you. John is attractive to people because of who he has met. Now, listen, I'm going to be honest. The church in general has been unattractive at times. And it has failed in a lot of ways. And what I believe is that the reason that the church fails when it fails is because Christ is not put at the center People are, listen, people are often attracted to Christian community before the Christian message because they have found Christians living in a way that makes people say, what is it that they have in their life? 
And they say, what do you have? Like, what is this about you? And they say, let me tell you about a person. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, and you will not believe what he has done for me. Christian community, if the community has really found what John is talking about here, they should be the, you should be experiencing the most loving, the most courageous, and, and the most humble community you have ever experienced. And if you're experiencing something other than that, then most likely you've been tricked into thinking it's a Christian community. There's a, there's a man named Rodney Stark, and he's, he's a sociologist, and he set out to <clears throat> explain how Christianity rose so quickly when it started. And he started this process a skeptic, and he ended the process a Christian. And here's what he found. He found people who were attracting other people because of the way they were living. So during the time when Christianity began to flourish, there were all of these persecutions. Christians were being tortured, and they were being martyred for their faith by, by pagans. And these, during this time, plagues broke out. And what the pagans were doing is when somebody got sick with one of these plagues, their family, their friends, whatever, they would banish them outside of the city gates, left them there to die. And what happened is Christians came to them, scooped them up, nursed them back to health, and took care of them. And they were so moved by this that eventually they became Christians. And I can imagine the conversation going like this. The pagan says to the Christian, why are you doing this for me? I mean, I was just persecuting you. My own family has just sent me out of the city to die, and you're here helping me. I don't understand. Why are you doing this for me? And they say, let me tell you about a person. I never would have done this for you in the past, but I'm different now. To truly meet Christ should change us. If we're really meeting him, we ought to be, become people who are more humble, yet more courageous, and more loving all at the same time. He is the greater hero that we are following after, and he ought to make us into greater heroes the closer and closer that we are following him. He's going to make us into heroes to our friends, our family, our neighbors, and our coworkers. And he's going to make us desire to sacrifice for others because we've seen the sacrifice that he's given for us. You become the type of person that people say, why are you doing this for me? And, and you say to them, let me tell you about a person. You're not going to believe what I've experienced from him. I'm changed by him. So what is it about Jesus that changes us so much? This is the second point. We behold him. And we behold specifically something that he has done for us. Okay, I'm about to offend you, but I'm also, I hope, about to make you feel more loved than you've ever felt loved in your life, okay? So, and, and we've said from the beginning, 
We want to have authentic community between believers and skeptics, and we want to have honest conversations about faith and doubt and what the Bible's saying. I don't think that you want me to sugarcoat this. I think you want me to tell you what the Bible is saying, right? So that's what I'm going to do. Um, so I'm going to offend you. John says his job is to make straight the path of the one who changes us. John's saying, I know the one the world is searching for. I've found him. I've discovered him. And he's everything and more than what the Bible has been saying. And I'm here to prepare you to hear about him. Listen, the primary job of John was to prepare you to behold Christ. So here's what he does. Here's how he's preparing you. To convict you that you're a sinner. That was John's whole purpose. I hope that that's not what our ministry looks like. I don't want to just be telling people you're a sinner, you're a sinner. But that's what John's whole ministry was devoted to. And when the Bible talks about sin, we, we get mad a little bit. We kind of get mad the same way when someone's about to take a picture of us and we're not ready for the picture and they take it anyways because we're mad because we didn't get to make ourselves look good before the picture happened. It catches our imperfections. And we get mad at the person taking the picture, but in reality, all they've done is just snap the picture. They just caught what you were looking like in that moment. It's not the fault of the photographer or the camera. God, the same way, is holding a mirror up in Scripture. We get offended by it, but really, it's just a mirror or a camera capturing our imperfections. No one likes to look at a bad picture of themselves. I know that. Um, but that's what John is doing in a way. He's holding the mirror or the picture up to our lives, and he's saying, it's time to make some changes. This is what you look like without makeup on. He's like taking a picture of you, and he's posting it on Instagram, and you're like, I didn't want anyone to see that. But he's convicting you that you aren't quite who you thought you were. But then he says, it's okay. I've got someone for you to meet. And it's best to think of him as a rescuer. It says, here's what John says. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So a lamb, when you look at a lamb in Scripture, the primary purpose of a lamb was to be a substitute. A lamb died in the place of God's people for their sins. So you say, well... Why do my sins need to be forgiven? I mean, isn't this archaic here? Why are we talking about this? Why can't God just forgive us? Why does there have to be this lamb that dies in our place? And I just say, we all, my friend, we all have too low a view of justice and of sin. And I think in a way we really have to because the reality is that deep down inside, I don't think we want to think about this because we don't really think God's going to forgive us. 
I mean, if you think about it, you've had to work so hard to get the job that you have and you're working to get a promotion. You know you've got to work so hard to get that. You have to work hard to get people to just like you. You have to work hard to keep your relationships functioning well and healthy. You have to work and work and work. So shouldn't it be the same way with God? No. This is really the scandalous part of Christianity. Not with the one John's talking about. See, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The deepest longing of the human soul is to hear from God, you are forgiven. And I believe deep down that every single one of us knows that we're not really how we should be. Now, we can look in the mirror and we can be honest about what we're seeing, or we could just ignore it. We could throw the picture away, or we could let the picture do something. We can let the picture prepare us for a rescuer, for a lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world. See, John has looked in the mirror And he saw his need for forgiveness, and it drove him right to the lamb. It drove him to a rescuer, and it changed him. The lamb changed him. I want you to think for a minute about the sins in your life. Or if you don't even want to think of the word sins, fine, whatever. Think of the things or think of the sins that have caused the most shame or the most embarrassment, or the most guilt in your life. Think about the things right now that no, you would hate for anyone in this room to know about. And even as I'm talking about this right now, you're like, oh, why are you doing this to me right now? Yeah. <laughs> I'm preparing the way. Um, so just, just think about those for a minute. Put them in your mind. Put them in your heart. Listen, this is so important. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He died for those sins. The most amazing person, the prettiest person who said you were pretty, the most amazing person who said you were amazing, he went to the cross for you. Behold him hung on the cross. That's what John is saying. The greatest person beyond your wildest dreams hanging there for you. Now, come on, at least say, whatever you say about Christianity and whatever you say about sin, it's real, it's legitimate or not, if you are beholding God hung on the cross for you, that's going to move you. Here's what you have here. You have a God who's saying, You're far more sinful than you thought, but you are far more loved than you ever dared hope for all at the same time. Now, I want to say this, and I think this is important. Some of you have self-inflicted emotional suffering that is happening in your life. You are, in a way, punishing yourself because you feel guilty. 
You're punishing yourself because deep down you know that you do need forgiveness, but you don't think you deserve it. The hardest thing, I think, is to just accept forgiveness, to feel like you don't have to work for it, to just rest in it. It goes against everything we're taught, really. I heard this story about a kid who, whenever he'd do something wrong, he'd go to his parents and he'd say, I did this wrong, and he'd say, aren't you going to spank me now? And uh, they're just trying to figure out what's going on, and, and what they found is that he felt guilty for the stuff he would do, was doing. So if he got punished for it, it would alleviate the guilt. Could it be that we're more like this kid than we realize? Could it be that you're punishing yourself for your sin so that you don't feel guilty? And then the question is, is that really working for you? Because, listen... This question is so important. Are you making yourself the lamb? Are you making yourself the lamb? How do we stop making ourselves the lamb? How do we stop trying to be our own lamb? Here's the answer. Embracing the lamb. Embracing the lamb. This is our third point. Our text says that while John was baptizing with water, Jesus came baptizing with the Holy Spirit. Now, what the heck does that mean? Well, the primary job of the Holy Spirit is to do two things. To, to convict you of your sin, to hold the mirror up, to make you say, oh, man, the way is prepared. This feels very uncomfortable. But that's the first thing. The second thing is to bring you right up, face to face, beholding the lamb, and then embracing him. So two things, convict and then bring you right to the lamb to behold him. So what scripture tells us about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is living within the soul of the Christian. And we talked about a few weeks ago, when we think about God as one God but three persons, this is known as the Trinity. When we think about that, it's best to think about God as three magnets that are so attracted to one another that they make one. Well, here's what's going on. Within the soul of the Christian, the Holy Spirit has this divine magnetism that is, he is craving Jesus Christ, the Lamb. And he's craving the embrace of the Lamb. I mean, I do this all the time. Many of us are trying to intellectually understand Christ before we embrace him. You're looking at him and you're like, this sounds good. This sounds almost too good to be true. Can I trust it? No, I don't think I can. But then we feel it and we feel, oh, this sounds so good. Can I believe it? No, I don't think we can. And, and the crazy thing is, for some reason, you don't know if you can trust him. Even though the Bible's saying over and over, he's died for you, you're still like, I don't know if I can trust God. Or we're trying to intellectually ascend into understanding God. And here's the thing. It's not going to work because there's this sickness that we have in our mind where we want to run from God. But then at the same time, the desire in our soul is to go and embrace him. 
And so the only cure for the sickness of our mind that wants to run from God is the spirit within us embracing the lamb. The deep longing of your soul is to know the embrace of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we come up to him, and we're about to embrace him, but then we say, no, I don't think I can do that. And then we go, yes, I can, and no, I can't. And the whole time you have here God who has given his life for you on the cross just desiring to just wrap you up in his arms. But intellectually, you're like, I don't know if I can do this. St. Augustine one of the greatest minds by far to have ever lived, here's what he says. I believe so that I might understand. I believe so that I might understand. In other words, I go and I embrace the lamb so that I will then understand him. Christianity, you'll never understand it until you embrace Christ. You can't really know it outside of the embrace. And once you embrace him, you begin to think differently, you begin to feel differently, and you begin to live differently, and your whole entire worldview changes. And here's what that embrace does to you. Do you know there's a direct correlation with how much love you have experienced in your life to how much love you can give? So, for example, a child, if a child doesn't, is not loved well when they're young and they grow older and are still not loved well, they're not going to love well. They're not going to know how to love others. If you experience the embrace of the Lamb of God who's given his life for you, it's going to make you feel so much love that your ability to love now goes through the roof. I want to take you right now right up to the Lamb, right before the embrace for you to just behold him real close, right before the embrace and just feel what that feels like. And, and what I want you to realize something about Christianity is that once you really understand it, what seemed offensive, actually you find you say to yourself, man, what I thought was offensive in the past is actually adding to the beauty here. So you think of Christianity like a painting. There's this whole painting in front of you, but could it be that you're so focused on this small part of the painting that you're missing the whole? You're so focused on the sin aspect of Christianity that you're missing the redemption part of it. I've, I mean, honestly, what I found is a major reason why that stops people from believing is that the whole picture isn't being seen. Or I think people tear Christianity apart because they don't really think God's going to be forgive, forgive them. C.S. Lewis said, I was so mad at God for not existing. So here's what I mean about the offensiveness adding to the beauty. I want to show you this. So God has this astronomically high view of justice and of sin. God has punishment and wrath even stored up for sins. Now wait, 
Don't get offended. Just let it sit there so that you can see the beauty and let that feeling drive you to the Lamb. So here's what, here's what happens. The cross has your name on it, and you're carrying it to your death, and you're walking. And then Christ rips a hole in heaven and comes down, and he rips the cross from your hand, and he carries it to his own slaughter. And then on the cross, all those sins that you felt earlier, he takes them and he places them upon himself. And he makes them his own. And then he takes his perfect and beautiful record and his perfect and beautiful heart, and he makes those yours. He is ripped apart to heal you, and he has cut to make you whole and he is hung on the cross a slave to make you free free from that feeling of shame free from that feeling of guilt and free from that feeling of punishment that's the substitute that's the lamb I dare you to just go and embrace him so you might understand. And don't, don't you dare think for a minute that you're going to come up to him and you're going to say to him, you are the Lamb of God who has taken away all of my sins. I trust you. Don't you dare think for a moment that he's going to reject you because he will not. You say that and he's going to embrace you so tightly and he is never, ever, ever going to let you go. Here's who this lamb is. He is the one who will tear apart the world and this very cosmos to come and get you. So go and embrace him, and he'll change you forever. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we've seen this great love that you have for us. God, I pray that no one in this room would hear a message that is not true of Christianity, but that we would hear of Christianity a God who loves us so much that he's willing to suffer in our place. God, help us to understand. Help us to embrace so we might understand. Help us to believe so that we might understand. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.